The following is a message by Dr. Howell Jones from Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or Westminster Seminary, visit us online at wscal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. It's the 34th verse, of course, that we turn to this morning, which records for us uh, that our Lord's side was pierced with a spear, even though his legs were left intact. And so much has been written about this 34th verse, and there's so little time to deal with it. Perhaps there is, however, an advantage for once in having such a short amount of time. It focuses the question, what can be left out? Or what has to be included in considering this statement? And adopting that line of inquiry, the positive one, what has to be included, of course, the answer to it is verse 37. Here's the key. Here's the clue to what is a mysterious and yet wonderful statement. There in verse 37, another scripture is recalled by John and recorded by him the faithful witness and, ought we not to add, the faithful interpreter. Not merely the one who saw, but the one to whose mind the Spirit brought this statement from the book of the prophet Zechariah in order that he might record it and so that generations of the Lord's people might have some thread by which to explore what is this wonderful labyrinth of truth. There is, of course, mystery here, quite apart from the significance of blood and water. There's the wonder of God's providence, the God who prevents things happening and permits other things to happen. And between those, there can seem to be no logic, no rhyme, no reason. We live in a fallen world, and we cannot explain why this, why not that, or the other way around. But There is one God who is above all and over all and mysteriously present and active in all. And that, of course, is our comfort and our strength in every time and every kind of perplexity and uncertainty, even when we face what is a difficulty to us in Holy Scripture itself. And there is the wonder, of course, of God's predictive power, able to anticipate, able to foreordain, able to bring to pass, not by personal intervention, but by mediate activity. Even those who do not know what they are doing, even those who do what they are doing without any shred of shared motivation, with a God who brings all things to pass. 
and his providence and his prediction all bend and tend to the wonder of his redemptive plan and purpose. And that's where this statement surely takes us. Here we have our Lord's dead body on the cross, not yet taken down for burial. And what we are told is this, that mysteriously God intervenes, acts, explains something about who it was that died, why it was that he died, and what he secured in dying. Now let's look at the event very quickly. It seems that the crosses were not that high off the ground, certainly not as high as is often depicted in art and sculpture, because our Lord's lips could be reached by an extended arm and a piece of hyssop plant that acted as a holder for a sponge of sour wine. That being so, you know, this soldier with a long spear, about three feet in length, extended arm, he didn't need to throw it in all probability. But even if he didn't throw it, he didn't just touch our Lord's body with it. His body was penetrated by it. It was a spear thrust. If the explanation of this action, which we are left to surmise, if the explanation was it to verify death, then it would hardly have been a scratch. And you remember in the upper room when our Lord revisited his disciples and Thomas was present. Jesus said to him, reach hither your finger and the print of the nail. Reach hither your hand and put it in my side. Be not unbelieving, but believing. It was a wound of some significance. It was a spear thrust that caused a flow of blood and water instantaneously. What then is its significance? Well, let's try and explore it along this line. It had something to do with death and life. Something to do with death and life. The proof of death and perhaps, perhaps an indication of the cause of death. Now putting the best gloss conceivable on this soldier's action. We may say that even though a conclusion had been reached that death had occurred, he wanted to make doubly sure and certain. And that being so, is it not likely that he would have stabbed at the heart? Just raise the question. Certainly the word pierced in the Old Testament is not the same word as is used in Psalm 22. They pierced my hands and feet. In Zechariah 12, from which this quote is taken, the word refers to being run through. Make no mistake about it. If there was any life left in that body, this soldier intended to extinguish it. He could have been motivated by senseless malice. 
people are in a fallen world. But we don't know. But let's put the best gloss on it. The intention was to terminate any life that remained and the flow of blood and water indicated that indeed life had fled or rather, sorry, been dismissed. Life had been dismissed by the Savior in advance of that spear thrust in his side. There are notable strands in Jewish tradition that regard the human body as composed equally of blood and water. And this indicates the reality of our Lord's humanity as well as the fact of his death against those Christians who, inverted commas of course, uh, who want to speak of some kind of soon as having taken place on the cross in order that they might be able to evade having to face up to the reality of the physical resurrection. Jews too, Muslims as well, year in advance in God's own word, the speciousness and the evasiveness of so-called explanations of unbelief are put out of court and made ridiculous. It's just possible that this flow of blood and water might say something about the cause of our Lord's death. Sure, it wasn't the spear thrust, nor was it the cross. He didn't die because of the cross. Sure, he died on a cross, but not because of the cross. What was it? Well, from one standpoint, of course, he dismissed his own spirit. It was his act. All the work of salvation having been accomplished, nothing left to do but to consign himself into the hands of his heavenly Father, whose will he had done, and in whose love, into whose love, he had been consciously restored. But there's another possibility. Medical experts, some medical experts, not all by any means, and it's interesting to me that they disagree, <laughs> that neither can convince the other that our Lord died from a human standpoint because of a ruptured heart. That doesn't, of course, mean he died of a broken heart, metaphorically, but that he died of a ruptured heart physically. Death certificate, cause of death, ruptured heart. Not impossible, medical experts tell us. Psalm 69 says, Reproach, your reproach, has broken my heart. In the midst of all the details about the historicity, about the actual uh, circumstances, events, in the, on the cross, at the crucifixion, there's this statement, 
All the hubbub of reproaches. Plural. There's one reproach, singular. Who knows? It's not impossible, is it? Sin does have an effect on God. It did have an effect on Jesus Christ. We need to have some kind of criterion by which to measure its enormity and its malignity. And perhaps this could be it. That it brought forth the unmitigated wrath of God on the sinless soul of the Son of God such as together with his lordship over his own life broke that perfect sinless humanity that was his. Well, it proves the fact of death. But it also says something about the provision of life, doesn't it? If you think of blood and water in terms of John's gospel, in terms of his epistles, or the first epistle rather, these vital fluids which together comprise life in the body flowing out bestow life symbolically but really on every sinner that trusts him that's why John wrote I was there I saw it I'm writing it not merely that you might have a historical account of what takes place but that you might believe Blood and water, blood on the altar, the life of Leviticus 19, 11, where the life of the flesh is in the blood. This isn't moral influence theory of the atonement. I have given it life, the life of the flesh, to you on the altar. It isn't life released by way of example. It's life offered up. In death, to God, on the altar that makes atonement for the soul. And that's what the blood signifies, isn't it? Blood of the new covenant. The curse born and exhausted. The law honored and fulfilled. And blood indicates that there is no peace between God and men in Jesus Christ. But not only blood, also water. And John has much to say about water as well. Jesus has living water. If anyone thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. Great day of the feast, John 7. Speaking of the Spirit, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, the cleansing work, of the spirit internally. So what I suggest to you, these elements must mean among whatever else, whatever, whatever else they mean, is this, that it's only what atones that can cleanse. There's no hope of pardon, no hope of cleansing, no hope of renewal, unless God is propitiated there's reconciliation and regeneration. And only 
Through reconciliation with God is the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit done. And there's no possibility of our being reconciled with God without being regenerated by the Holy Spirit because that faith that trusts in Christ is itself a gift of the Holy Spirit of God. Blood and water means that there is once and for all and forever reconciliation with God and that there is pardon and cleansing time and time and time again until we need it no more. Dear dying lamb, thy precious blood shall never lose its power till all the ransomed church of God be saved to sin no more. Let us pray. Help us, O Lord, in order that we might behold more and more of the wonders that are contained in thy holy word. Our understanding is poor and limited. We thank thee that thou dost lead and teach us step by step and that thou wilt one day, calling us into thy presence, enable us to know as we are known and with new powers ponder and adore more of what we have known, now seeing it as never before in the face of thy blessed Son, our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Hear us for his sake. Amen. Copyright 2008, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way, and you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this broadcast on our website is preferred.